Hello, and welcome to another episode of EKU Online's ECAST series. EKU Online's mission is to change lives by providing access to affordable, quality degree programs and meaningful disciplines that positively impact our society. Thank you for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Ballou with EKU Online. Today, we're joined by Jongwoo Kim, Associate Professor in the Department of Government. Dr. Kim earned his bachelor's and master's degrees from Korea University. He also holds an MPA and PhD in public administration, both from Arizona State University. His research and academic interests include public budgeting and finance, state government investment pools, and financial management for public and nonprofit organizations. Dr. Kim's work can be found in several journals, included including Public Budgeting and Finance and the Journal of Public Budgeting, Accounting, and Financial Management. Welcome, Dr. Kim, and thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate having you here. So let's jump into it. Um, we Can you hear me okay? I just got a message that my internet connection was unstable, so I want to make yeah, sure we're still... I, yeah, right. Okay. All right. So, Dr. Kim, you're an associate professor in the Department of Government, and you also teach in our MPA program. Can you tell us about a little bit about the department and the MPA program? No, of course. Uh, first, uh, hello, Elizabeth, and the viewers and listeners of EK Online's ECAS series. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks for inviting me to the ECAS series. I am very glad to be here and share what I have experienced through the EKU online MPA program. The government department offers uh, several degree programs in political science, paralegal science, globalization and international affairs, and public administration. We also offer a three plus two accelerated program for students who wish to complete uh, both uh, the bachelor's degree in political science and a master of public administration degree in five years. Uh, our master of a public administration program is practitioner focused. So we designed the MPA program to fit the academic needs of those uh, who are already working in the public sector. Uh, the MPA program also serves new college graduates who are interested in uh, working in the public sector or nonprofit organizations. Great. Sounds like a lot of great offerings um, in the department. So you have an extensive background in public budgeting and finance. What interested you in this field? And then why did you decide to move to the United States to study um, public administration even further? Wow. This is a really good question. Uh, let me think about where I should start because there were uh, different steps and several uh, occasions that uh, shaped my academic interest. Uh, maybe I should first talk about uh, the big question I had in college. It may sound silly, but I was very serious about asking and finding the reason why we pay taxes. So at the time, there was no internet service like we have today and like no Wikipedia or no Investopedia or whatever that I could use and search for uh, a quick answer. And I didn't want a uh, sort of rhetorical answers that I could find in a magazine or 
newspaper opinion sections. So I wanted something fundamental and also theoretical. Well, I, I didn't know at that time how my life would be unfolded thanks to this silly big question. So, <laughs> so, and of course, I also had many other questions I had to ask myself as I pursue my study and research in this area. And it was like solving quests in video games. And I had to take government courses, economics, statistics, sociology, psychology, accounting, and finance courses. Yes, it was a long journey. And uh, particularly the concept of uh, fiscal federalism greatly entertained my academic curiosity. Uh, to simply put, fiscal federalism means how federal, state, and local governments share uh, financial responsibilities and governmental functions within our federal system. So I wanted to study more about it in the states where the theory was originally introduced. Can you talk to us about how the field of public budgeting, accounting, and financial management has changed since you first started studying it? Oh, yes. Uh, when I teach uh, the public budgeting and finance course in our MP program, I use an academic journal article to discuss exactly the same question you just asked. Uh, the article titled, The Lack of Budgetary Theory, and it was written by Vio Key Jr. And uh, the article was published in 1940, a long time ago. So in this article, uh, the author Key asks, um, on what basis shall it be decided to allocate X dollars to activity A instead of activity B? And at the end of his essay, uh, he said that budgets were reflections of political philosophy and the search for an allocation formula to determine how best to distribute budgetary resources is illusory. So the ending sounds quite discouraging, doesn't it? So of course, there have been uh, numerous attempts to develop concrete theories to explain the budgetary process. One of the most effective approaches was established by uh, Aaron Wildowski. He published his book, The Politics of the Budgetary Process in 1964. In this seminal work, the budget process that determines who gets what from the government is not economic, but political. So finding an allocation formula is not the key ingredient in the budget process. So from uh, his perspective, government budgeting was an annually repeated process and the result of bargaining between individuals who came to know each other through budgetary activities. So only the increments from a 
well-designed debates are examined by the legislature and change is pretty much limited. So his theory of budgetary incrementalism dominated American budgeting for decades. But his theory, <clears throat> excuse me, on incrementalism was criticized by many scholars because it couldn't explain several important aspects of the budgeting process. So later, I think it was late 1980s or uh, early 1990s, he had to revise his original approach by giving up most of his well-known theory of budgetary incrementalism. So theory evolves. And um, another thing that I want to briefly uh, talk about is the breakthrough change in uh, government fin uh, financial reporting. So the Governmental Accounting Standards Board, GASBY, introduced uh, Statement 34, which became uh, uh, effective in 2001. And this statement established new financial reporting requirements for state and uh, local governments. Uh, I moved to the states in 2000. So I was lucky enough to witness what conversations were made and how this new uh, accounting standards uh, have affected state and local uh, governments. And the two most important features of Gatsby's Statement 34 are, uh, for the first time, financial managers are required to share their insights about the financial performance of the government. And uh, government-wide financial statements were also introduced for the first time. And these changes contributed to the transparency of government spending. Interesting. It is interesting to think that those reporting requirements yeah. are still yeah. fairly new. I mean, that, yes. And there were the entire... yeah, changes in statements through uh, Gatsby and has affected the government to uh, financial reporting system. How about um, technology? Are there any changes or uh, related to technology that might be changing and shaping public administration? Of course. So uh, digital government or uh, e-government is how uh, technology has changed the, uh, the landscape of public administration. Um, e-government means the use of electronic devices and information and communication technology to deliver public services and uh, to communicate with the public and also gather feedback from them. And the first White House homepage was launched in 1992. And the e-government act was passed in 2002 to improve the IT practices of the federal government. And uh, we saw that Facebook and Twitter started their services in 2004 and 2006, respectively. So technology advances and the promise of e-government allowed us citizens to access government information and services on their terms. 
And we can also bring issues or concerns to the attention of local, state, and federal governments much faster, much easier, and more effectively than before. Yes, it has opened a new channel, totally new channel, where citizens can be better connected with the government. However, the advent of technology has also created issues, rather uh, unexpected, and the government had to tackle such issues. For instance, the, in 2013, the website healthcare.gov was launched and on the very first day, approximately 250,000 people tried to sign on to shop for health insurance created by the Affordable Care Act. And there were outages. And it became worse over the next week when several million people attempted to sign on. So although the technical design was extraordinarily complex, it was concluded that the most critical failing was the human factor of uh, clear leadership. And there are also many other policy issues, such as cybersecurity challenges and uh, the transmission of fake news and limited access to technology because of the lack of needed networking infrastructures and the cost of access. It's amazing. And it's all happening so quickly, it feels like those oh, yeah. changes. How do you stay up to date and involved in the field? Do you make sure you're getting the most recent information to share with students? Oh, uh, yeah. So I would say holding professional memberships to major academic associations in the public administration fields is very effective. So I can receive the most up-to-date news and uh, very significant changes in policy and also new approaches in the PA field through uh, proper and trustworthy channels. And of course, reading um, academic journal articles, new articles help me a lot to stay up to date. And most importantly, um, the new approaches that I can attain through various channels are great sources to develop and advance my teaching materials for our EKU students. And I also attend uh, academic conferences and I am a regular attendee of uh, conferences held by uh, major associations like the Association for Budgeting and uh, Financial Management and the American Society for Public Administration and uh, the Southeastern Conference for uh, Public Administration. And recently, Eastern Kentucky University and the College of Letters, Arts and Social Sciences hosted the 2022 annual Southeastern Conference for Public Administration here in Lexington. And after two years of COVID, the Secopa Conference was back live and in person this year. And there were 44 panels and over 200 papers were presented at the conference. And I am very proud that 
our own EKU MP program and our MPA faculties played very important roles to run the conference successfully. That's fantastic. It sounds like it was very successful. I'm sure everyone was happy yeah. to, and excited to get back together again in person. Yeah. And that's great. So let's switch topics a little bit and talk about online teaching. What MPA courses do you teach online and what do you enjoy about teaching in this mode of education? Oh, yeah. Um, in the spring semesters, I teach POL 877, uh, Public Finance Administration. And in the fall semesters, I teach POL 800, Research Methods. And they are core courses of the MPA curriculum. And uh, during the summer, I teach uh, POL 847, uh, Grant Writing, and uh, POL 835, Intergovernmental Relations. And over the last year, I also developed a new MPA course, uh, POL 880, Nonprofit Financial Management. And that course was first offered this past summer. And regarding what I like about uh, this mode of education, mm, most of all, I would say I like it uh, because it is uh, ubiquitous, meaning that it is everywhere. So with my laptop and internet access, I can reach out to my students and interact with them anywhere. So at any time. So I like it very much. And it is also very flexible. So students don't have to finish all course materials in one sitting. So this is particularly important for students who are in service, full-time job. And they don't have to commit full 15 minutes, 75 minutes, or even three hours like in a traditional face-to-face -face setting. You can spare a short amount of time and keep working on the course materials. This approach, in a sense, could be <clears throat> very beneficial to stimulate your brain uh, subconsciously and keep thinking about what you're learning, even while you are working on other stuff. Thus, when they are back to the course materials, they will experience an increased level of comprehension of the topics they were working on. Yeah, it's very effective. That's great. So I've heard from quite a few faculty that, you know, um, preparing for an in-person class is, can be very different from online. So what is your process to develop and teach uh, online courses? Let me share my uh, anecdotal experience in online teaching. Um, I taught my first online statistics course in 2007. Uh, many of my colleagues asked me how statistics can be taught online without any face-to-face -face interaction. Even I had to question myself, really teaching statistics online? <laughs> so it was really, really uh, difficult question. And yes, we were suspicious of the delivery method of teaching statistics. And interestingly, however, 
I noticed that students were getting used to that system and even liked the new way of learning statistics. And I realized that maybe my concern and our concerns at that time resulted from a sort of normative myth that statistics should be taught only in person. So we were not focusing on the learning process from a student perspective. We only worried about how to deliver the knowledge. So when I designed my online courses, I first asked myself how I would study the course materials. When I look back on uh, my college years, I don't think I learned most of the things from uh, lectures itself. Well, I don't mean lecturing is not important, but I feel I learned more from working on the assignment and asking questions to professors. So I focus on creating an effective set of assignments that will help them promote uh, learning. And let me take an example. When I first arrived at EKU in 2016, I was asked to redevelop POL 800 research methods. At that time, I heard that there were many complaints that POL 800 is unnecessarily difficult. Well, this course, POL 800, is a fundamental course to enhance uh, our MPA students' ability in conducting and evaluating public administration research. However, I thought that the previous format of 800 is not adequately designed to achieve learning in the online environment. So I attempted to remove uh, two barriers that have impeded students' success and learning in the course. They are, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a systematic barrier that was embedded in the course structure and a psychological barrier that students experienced while studying the subject. So to tackle the first issue, I emphasized uh, conceptual understanding rather than uh, mere knowledge of procedures by providing uh, meaningful problem sets. And to provide more live and uh, clear delivery of knowledge, uh, I recorded my lecture videos at the Instru uh, Instructional Design Center using the Lightboard technology. Uh, by the way, I am right-handed, but due to the technology, my students thought I am left-handed and asked me how I can write so neatly with my left hand. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, Discussion forum questions and uh, assessments were developed to uh, foster uh, active learning. And to tackle the second issue, uh, I prioritized the topics and incorporated only the essential topics that fit with an introductory statistics course. 
it was true that many of the students uh, struggled in the class because the workload was incredibly heavy and it created a psychological barrier that they could not succeed. And we have seen many developments in teaching online courses in terms of pedagogy, technology, uh, quality control and instructional design. So I'm excited to learn more and develop my courses to better support my students. Great. It's great that you recognize the sort of self-imposed psychological barrier that students <laughs> were facing. I think so often I was talking with that faculty member the other day and she was saying so often just an email saying you're, you're doing a good job goes a really long way with online students and yeah, um, yeah. just those psychological issues yeah. that they come across. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's great you address that. Um, so we talked a little bit about the MPA program in general at the beginning, and we've talked through the field. So what would you say to a prospective student who asks you, you know, why should I do this? Why should I get an MPA degree? And why should I do that at EKU? Yeah, that is really good question. And first, uh, the skills you will learn in our MPA program will eventually help you develop problem solving. So as a leader, and a uh, future leader, you should be able to formulate ideas and uh, come up with a plan to solve the problem. And through our MP program, you will learn how to identify the problem and how to analyze the information and how to interpret the results from your research and find a uh, recommended solution. The second, you will also learn uh, how to allocate resources more efficiently and effectively. So leaders and managers in public and nonprofit sector should be able to manage and allocate available resources to achieve the objectives of the organizations. And uh, lastly, uh, our MP program will help you become a better business maker. So knowledge of the uh, research process in other uh, area and analytic methods will help you digest uh, and understand academic reports and critically being able to evaluate the reliability of the research. And our MP program provides a variety of ways to prepare you to be successful in your future career, in your current career or future career. So there are four areas of concentration and we also offer four certificates. Therefore, you'd be, uh, you will be able to build expertise in your chosen area as you pursue your degree program in our MP program. Great, thank you. So we're getting uh, close to the end of our questions. I always like to wrap up these interviews by asking um, if you could just share with our listeners and viewers a little bit about your personal interests. I'm sure you don't have a ton of free time as a faculty member. I know there's always something going on, but what is it you like to do in your spare time? Finding spare time is very challenging, but uh, if I have some uh, spare time, uh, uh, I am very interested in uh, media production, like uh, photo shooting and video editing. So uh, when you visit the government, uh, government department webpage, you will find the faculty photos, which are taken by me. So they are my products. And uh, during my uh, stay at home year in 2020 due to COVID, 
uh, I helped my church to produce a series of virtual choirs. So I don't know if you ever seen uh, virtual choirs on YouTube or over the internet, but it was a very fun project. I designed everything from recording logistics and uh, to like video editing. And um, I also helped a uh, local Korean language program in Lexington. And uh, I hope to see that EKU in the future can offer more foreign uh, language courses and promote learning uh, other cultures that will eventually benefit uh, all of us by promoting diversity in the EKU community as well as uh, in our lives. Great. I'm going to have to check out the MPA website now to see some of your work. <laughs> that's great. Oh. <laughs> so that's the end of our formal questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I also lead uh, the Institute for Public and International Affairs as a director within a government department. Uh, IPIA is housed in our department, government department, and it was launched uh, three years ago. And this institute, uh, uh, IPIA, um, aims to cultivate learning and research opportunities through uh, collaborations with international scholars and professionals. And we provide various opportunities for international professionals from abroad to uh, advance their problem-solving skills, uh, leadership skills, as well as uh, decision-making strategies. Uh, through collaborations with uh, EK faculties, I envision that the IPIA, Department of Government, and EKU become the place that promotes continuing education, research, and training opportunities for international government officials and business and uh, public organization leaders. Uh, in 2019, collaborating with uh, eCampus, uh, the Department of Government, uh, the School of Safety, uh, Security, and Emergency Management, uh, also the uh, National Emergency Management Association and the Kentucky uh, National Guard. We hosted a meeting with uh, delegations from the Ecuador government to discuss education and training opportunities of disasters and emergency management at EKU. And uh, we also uh, had the opportunity to invite three government officials from South Korea. And through IPIA, they fulfilled their research activities on various topics. And IPIA raised a total of $29,000 of grant funds to support the research uh, activities. And I believe, I hope, and I believe that the IPIA will create opportunities to learn uh, global perspectives on the diverse uh, policy area. And, the collaborations will increase the knowledge base and provide valuable ideas in all aspects of public affairs. That's great. That's really exciting, exciting work. So 
Well, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us. And I enjoyed getting to learn a little bit more about you personally, but then also about our MPA program here at EKU. So thank you again. Thank you so much.